Hi, I'm Natalie Gawkner. This is Both Sides of the Aisle. I represent the political center and have in the studio with me my friends John Dougal on the right. Hey, how are you? Good to be with you. I'm over here on the right. And Shireen Gurbani on the left. Hello, and hey listeners, glad you're sticking with us. And we're recording from the uh, studios at the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, and there are Graphs we call the it room. the mansion. <laughs> the mansion. But I'm seeing like use the housing price index and Utah minority population shares and the components of population change. Welcome to the Gardner Institute, you two. Hey, That's right. <laughs> good to be here. <laughs> oh, but I don't like to do this, but we're going to start international and go global and go back to um, Gaza. Go, go big. Yeah, go back to Gaza. And, you know, you can't hear news reports these days. Uh, coming from Gaza without talking about hospitals. Yeah. And uh, Shireen and John, you know, what you're hearing is that these hospitals are not only having patients on the, you know, above ground, but underground there's tunnels and Hamas control centers. Uh, John, how do you, I mean, what do you do with this? I mean, this, this makes it very difficult for the Israelis if they're going after Hamas and yet they've planted themselves with innocent civilians around them. It makes Sick it, civilians too, right? Newborn I, it, baby it, civilians. Yes, yeah. It just makes it really difficult because you're trying to go after those that attacked you, but it's a very difficult situation and stuff. I, you know, I noticed that, that while some were calling for a ceasefire, uh, the Israelis have said that there will be, what is it? Four hour pauses in between the fighting. So not ceasefires, but four hour pauses. They'll give a three hour warning. So civilians can move where they're at before attacks take place to try and help protect them. So I think those are good steps in the right direction to allow you to execute the military action you need to protect your country and try and minimize harm to those that are innocent in the way. Yeah. Shireen, commentary from the left. And and as I say that, you've got Biden basically asking for less intrusive action and that hospitals must be protected. Yeah, hospitals absolutely must be protected. And I think one of the things that's exceedingly complicated about this is you don't decant a hospital, you don't move people out of a hospital a couple of hours at a time, right? Mm -hmm. It's incredibly uh, logistically complicated. People are in high-risk situations when we think about what's happening, especially half the population in Gaza is children and thinking about you know, I mean, there's been reporting on infants in incubators not having uh, power to to keep keep those kids alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a highly orchestrated process to be able to actually move people out of harm's way if we're talking about a hospital setting. But this is really part of a bigger picture of just ongoing devastation and true true hell that people are living through. Yeah, Shireen, I'll bet you worry like I do about attacks on U.S. forces that um, this could help the war to spread. Certainly. And we're seeing escalation in many on many fronts, right? Um, certainly rhetoric is kicking up, but also attacks on U.S. Um, uh, piece, I would say pieces of infrastructure of our mm-hmm. military. Um, and this is, again, I think, um, you know, in recent reporting, what Hamas is saying they're trying to do is reset the game board, right? Mm-hmm. And, and to do that, I don't know that they care how many people are harmed in in the in the process. So it just is a really tense time. It's it's a scary mm-hmm. time in this region, for sure. Terrorist organizations have it easy compared to civil society because yeah. they can just sit there and cause all sorts of trouble. Yeah. Well, and being in the military is a dangerous business, even if you're not at war. I mean, there was mm-hmm. the uh, uh, helicopter that was uh, midair refueling that crashed yeah. and, and killed various service members. And that was just a training operation and stuff like that. And so just the yeah, nature tragic. of the business is... is 
dangerous. All right. Meanwhile, we have the 2024 presidential election that continues to gather steam. We had uh, more debates this week. Uh, This most recent one was in Miami, Florida. Of course, the former president, Donald Trump, uh, chose not to be there. It was a it was a good debate, but in, since the debate, uh, it Senator, was a good debate. How do you think it was a good debate? That H- Nikki Haley did well, from my perspective. Oh, there, you go. there you go. Well, you know, I just want to know the metrics. Yeah, you I, know, I was disappointed because there were some things I, I have concerns with the fiscal dynamics of Social Security, and it just seemed like they were all largely in denial about things. So, you know, it, wanted to refuse even talking about raising the age, and I don't see any problem with saying twenty year olds. You're going to have to be older to retire to get it. I mean, I'm with that's you. just. But that, I think that's the posture that Nikki Haley takes. So come, come join that with me if you want, John. But, but I'll also say that it seems like a sideshow. It and, does, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so, I mean, what do you, what do you do? And then you have Tim Scott dropping out. So you have. Uh, the so we have Mike getting Pence smaller. Drop, drop out, and now we have uh, Tim Scott drop out. So yeah. it's it's winnowing down. It's narrowing and. And he admitted he had a positive message, but he said, clearly my message isn't the right one at this time. Yeah. So let's be really clear. Why is this a sideshow? Because of Donald Trump. Yes. Yep. And yeah. he's unwilling to participate. He has said he is also not going to participate in the next debate. Um, he is showing up in courtrooms that he doesn't need to be in. He's doing other things. He's holding rallies at the same time. So he is available to engage in these debates. He is choosing not to. And I think what's particularly complex uh, fallout of that is that we have these candidates on stage then going after each other, debating Mm -hmm. each other, when the person that they need to be truly running against is kind of absent. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you're feeling that too. And they're not talking about them. Right. I mean, you would think that all four, five, six, however many are on the stage at any given debate would be attacking the front runner rather than each other. Governor DeSantis in this most recent debate went after Donald Trump in a way I hadn't heard him do before. And he essentially said, you uh, didn't build the wall. You know, you didn't uh, uphold a lot of your promises, and you should be here explaining it. I thought he did all right. But the bigger issue for me is just understanding how does this all unwind? And, Shereen, I think it's unfair to ask you to comment on it on the Republican side, but you seem to yeah, know. Come on, Shereen. Well, you seem to know things like this really well. But So I'll, I'll look at John, but, Shereen, you jump in if you want. Take us through the timeline. Like, when is Iowa... When is South Carolina? When can we see whether it's collapsing on just Donald Trump or whether there's a hope for people like me that want a Nikki Haley Youngkin ticket or a Nikki Haley Tim Scott I, I ticket? Think, I, I think your hopes about the Youngkin ticket just went away a week okay, ago with the, mm-hmm. with the election there in Virginia did not go his way. Mm-hmm. And I think that said that his future right now in this cycle is gone. Even okay. I think even as a vice presidential candidate, okay. he wasn't able to deliver and get control of the House and the Senate in Virginia. Um, I think the key timeline, I mean, we talk about um, Iowa, we talk about New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and then you got Super Tuesday, there which is go. what, the beginning of March? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so that is, I think, really, I mean, that's whether, when you start whether, to know. That's when you're going to know. And, you're going to have one when, or two races before, and that may be a kind of sort of indicator, but that Super Tuesday will be the date I think we'll really know whether or not Trump is taking his popularity in the polls and translating it into I votes. I tell people I'm more a public policy expert than a politics expert, so I really sometimes I'm rough on these things. But my recollection is that, that South Carolina 
and Super Tuesday is where Biden, it became evident that he was the guy. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. So after losing Iowa after uh, for Biden, right? Um, New Hampshire as well, I believe. And then I think, yes, it's, so this is going to become clear in early next year. But I think that there's kind of this, again, this sort of like looming issue of Trump. What is going to happen with his legal troubles if he is, you know, if, if we're talking about kind of these accelerated uh, trials that are happening, mm-hmm. there are really serious consequences that could that could befall from that. And I just don't know how this continues to work um, if he's, you know, in further legal trouble. These are my two big surprises. Okay. Number one, where are the Democrats in terms of putting up a candidate that's that's more competitive than President Biden. Okay. And the second one is where are the Republicans, the moderate Republicans, in dispensing with Donald Trump once and for all? Can either of you answer either of those? Because it's so evident. I can talk about the dem- – no. Well, it's <laughs> so evident to me that there's a better future for this country and and people know that. People with power know that. And if they unify, they could they could ensure that future. So, so – where, part of where's, the challenge, where's President Bush? Part of the you challenge, know, where's Dick Cheney? Where's you know even locally Mike Levitt? Where are the people that that know better than to let Donald Trump come into office again? Well, I don't know the answer to that question. I was going to say with the rank and file folks, those that are opposed to Donald Trump, they're split. Some are with Ron DeSantis. Some are with Nikki Haley. Some were with Tim Scott. Some were with Vivek. Some were with uh, Chris Christie, and so they're split. So I think if they unify together, yeah, okay, they would be the majority in opposition to Trump. But right now, deciding who to coalesce behind is still difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. we've it's seen this story before. And winnowing, yes. So it's it's winnowing more than it did back in 2016. But still, you've got. I mean, what the last debate had five folks on the stage, not counting Trump who didn't show up. Mm-hmm. So you have Tim Scott drop out. So now you're down to four. But that's still five people. Five major yeah. players, if you will, in a primary, and that the, splits a lot the of ways. The gap is still so large between yes. the top of those candidates and Donald Trump. How about on the D side? So here's Should what we... I would say. I think that you know, if people want to talk about concerns about Joe Biden's age, you have to look at what's happening with Trump out on the campaign trail at his rallies. The kind of confusion that's coming out of his mouth is, is it four years that separate them. Not not even, I okay. don't think. Okay. Um, so these are two very old politicians. That's just the case. But I think what you what I would ask people to do is to really look at what kind of policies and what kind of government has been advanced by Joe Biden. Right now, at this point, Democrats are in line. We're not the party of chaos. And so we're looking to stand behind our leader who has gotten amazing legislation passed for this country. The Inflation Reduction Act, the Infrastructure Week that Trump, president, you know, President Trump promised forever and never delivered on, all of those things were able to come together under Biden because he is able to work and he gets things done for this country. So yeah, I understand people's concerns about age, but I would just ask them to look at the results. Mm, yeah. Well, thanks for the viewpoints. So we're going to take a brief break. I'm Natalie Gawkner with Shereen Gorbani and John Dougal. Stay tuned, everybody. Shereen Gorbani on the left. John Dougal on the right. Natalie Gawkner in the political center, and this is both sides of the aisle. Uh, John and Shireen, uh, we just talked about the 2024 presidential election cycle. We have to- well, Partly talked about it. Who knows? Maybe there's more to there's happen. More. Well, we need to talk about Joe Manchin because he's made clear that he's not going to seek re-election in the Senate. He's in a very Republican state, but a Democrat. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a lot of people think he wasn't re-electable. Uh, but there's so many concerns that he's going to enter as a third-party candidate under the no labels um, tag and that it will either ensure that Donald Trump becomes president 
or ensure that Joe Biden becomes president, depending on where you are. But uh, Shireen, where are you on this one? So I think that would depend on this sort of fictional ticket of no labels. Um, they are saying in the new year, they will say what they're going to do. Um, but I guess for have me... Have they reached out to call you? Yeah, they, they have been asking, but they know that I'm probably labeled <laughs> at this point. <laughs> um, but I think that there's a, a question about what what does that ticket look like? Um, we saw Joe Manchin appear with Huntsman, right? Yeah. Um, this is our former governor, John Huntsman. Our former yeah. governor, who I think is considered to be a moderate. I think that's mm-hmm. fair to say, I Republican. Think that's fair. Um, I'm I, telling you, a mansion huntsman ticket would get my vote. I, I believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, not mine, um, but I do <laughs> think that we have. So what we have She's here there for, is there for Joe. How far right or left would this ticket look, depending on what the ticket was? Mm-hmm. And then thinking about, you know, what is that? How does that land in the few states, unfortunately, where it really matters? Right. So we're talking Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Pennsylvania, the right yeah, Arizona. Arizona. So what did Atlanta, those candidates Georgia. look like there? And I have to say, Joe Manchin doesn't seem like a winning name for me in in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in mm-hmm. Arizona. Certainly some of the other ones may, may make it more interesting, but I don't really see a way forward for him. You know who's a winning name for me is uh, John Huntsman uh, because of his international prowess at a time when you need that. I interacted with him last week, uh, had had a lunch with him and his wife, and he was he was you know he was just amazing what he was able to impart. This was with Arthur Brooks in town, and and I just happened to have a, a visit with him. But well, former ambassador of both China and Russia. Yeah, you can't get any better. Yeah. And and then, you know, having experience in the State Department and in Singapore and being a governor. But but here's the thing, John. I know you're not a Donald Trump fan. You've said that on this program before. What what happens in this country if we get four more years of Donald Trump? Uh I think uh, unfortunately we get a lot of chaos mm-hmm. and we I don't believe we'll get a lot of conservative principles coming through. Mm-hmm. A lot of conservative policies and that's so we my, lose four that's more my, years. We lose four more years. Yeah, and I, I, and I, I look and say, well, we had some good things that happened under his first administration. There were a lot of promises that weren't kept, a lot of things that were not conservative from my perspective. Spending went out of control. Then I throw in four years of what I consider disaster with, with Joe Biden. And then I look and say, okay, four more years of a lost opportunity for a conservative cause it doesn't make me happy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now let's go intensely local and yes. let's go to uh, the U.S. Senate seat that Mitt Romney is not going to uh, seek again. And we've now got Representative John Curtis who's reconsidering. Uh, it was news several weeks ago that he was going to stay where he is. I've got a quote here where he says, these voices getting louder and more organized are increasingly difficult to ignore. Because so many Utahns have asked me to, I'm taking a fresh look. Goodness. That sounds, I mean, that sounds like the writing's on the wall, John. So, so taking a fresh look, let's, let's also look at taking a fresh look at the House. Since he made his first decision, Kevin McCarthy's out. Mm-hmm. We've gone through the chaos of potential speaker, potential speaker, potential speaker, you know, mm-hmm. da, 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 finally getting another speaker. We're at the cusp of shutdowns because we don't have any type of budget action truly taking place. We'll have to see what happens in the next few days. Mm-hmm. But I think part of this for for Congressman Curtis is looking to say, lots has changed. There's more dysfunction in the House. People are wanting me to consider the Senate. Uh, the grass might be greener on the other side of the fence. Interesting. Shireen, I know you'll be quick to point out his political history. 
(laughs) You've done it before, at least. I've done done it before. What I will say is I think for me, Congressman Curtis, if he were to be our senator, would be a huge upgrade. Um, Not from Romney necessarily, but certainly from Mike Lee in my perspective. Um, I just find him to be a person who is incredibly serious and also quite open to thinking about some of the things that I care deeply about, including climate change, the climate crisis that we're experiencing, thinking about pulling together um, productive conversations around these really important issues. I trust him more to be able to do that and to tend to represent our state well and not get into these, you know, anti-democratic sideshows that are absolutely unproductive, I think, for everybody that um, some of our politicians have got engaged in over the years. I find him to be serious and hardworking, and I appreciate him. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. I don't align with his politics, but I'd rather be represented by him. Yeah, go ahead, John. One of, one of the other dynamics, I think there's, there's lots of qualified folks in Utah that could run for Congress, could run for the U.S. Senate, um, that I think they look back there at the dysfunction and the years and, and stuff of dysfunction, regardless of which party's in control, just going... Why would I want to sacrifice my, you know, my time, my effort, my energy for that? Mm-hmm. And I'm even starting to hear the young college kids that would go back to work as congressional staffers nowadays saying, why would I want to go back there? Why yeah. would I want to work for somebody in Congress? Right. Which is unfortunately a sad yeah. commentary on on the culture and dynamics at play. Yeah. I'll just remind our listeners that um, – Current Speaker Brad Wilson, who will resign this week <laughs> if everything goes as planned and be, uh, you know, superseded by a new speaker. But he's running for this seat. He's a terrific, talented um, person, great politician, I think a great policy mind. And I think uh, very highly of John Curtis as well. So it sets up a very competitive Senate race if this follows through. Yeah. Interesting. It would be interesting to see. I, I don't I feel like Brad Wilson in my um kind of perception of him as as just a citizen does not engage with the media a lot. There's not a ton of um places to go and look to, to hear how he's thinking about or talking about things. There's certainly a record of what he's gotten done. And I do think he often focuses on things that are important. I think about the lake, mm-hmm. the leadership he's stepped into there and some different things that are, are nice to see. Um, but are these two candidates wildly different or mm. is, do they, does one just have better name ID? Well, I mean, I yeah. think we'll see what Stay happens. Stay tuned. Well, we've got a couple other names in there. We've got sure. a former staffer of, of Mike Lee, Carolyn Fippen, who announced recently, uh, you know, the mayor of Riverton. Yeah. As, has announced, Trust yeah. Staggs. Um, we've got, uh, my understanding, I haven't seen any official announcement, but rumors that the mayor of Roosevelt is, you know, planning to jump in the race or I has, think he's jumped, in. He's has in. he jumped yep. in the race? Yeah. So. Yeah, well, there's a lot. Now, uh, John, Representative Blake Moore, uh, he's now elected to fill Speaker Mike Johnson's spot in House GOP leadership. That is a huge deal. Out of the frying pan into the fire. That's a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for uh, anyone for that interacts very, with— very, very junior. Yeah, with yeah. anyone that interacts with Blake Moore, he's very self-deprecating. He's quite humble, uh, wicked smart. Um He's got physical stature. He's, he's tall. a tall guy, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and uh, from everything he's got I, that quarterback presence. Yeah, from everything I can see, he uh, is really acquitting himself really well in the U.S. Congress. Yeah, I, I think this is uh, clearly he's got respect of his colleagues to move into this kind of position and stuff like that, especially so quickly in his time in the House. Yeah, we also know that these are jobs that people do not want to do. So yeah. I hope he's able to uh, navigate it deftly. And I hope that 
Um, typically what happens, and you would have more to say on this, Natalie, than I'd certainly do or more insight on this, but when we have people in these leadership roles, it can pay huge dividends back to your state. Sure. So it is really exciting to have You're somebody there. You're at the table there. when You're decisions the table. are made. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And that can mean investments on everything from roads to, uh, you know, addressing when you think about, I, I don't know if I'd be happy with it, but thinking about greater focus on our public lands. So it can really make a difference to have somebody at the table. Let's go to the Chris Stewart race, uh, Shireen, that you're so familiar with. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we've got uh, the Democrat, Kathleen Reby. The the CD2 race. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've got Representative Celeste Malloy. Uh, As we go into the final stretch here, it looks like like Malloy is holding on to more cash, maybe in a better position this way. Sure. Uh, she's also taking uh, money from corporate PACs. Uh, that is not something that Reby is doing. Uh, Democrats in the state typically don't. Um, there is, I would say, a, a, there are huge differences between these candidates. If you want somebody who is going to really be thinking about what it means for you to live freely, <laughs> to actually have freedom, um, check out Reby. If you want to talk about people who understand what it's like in our public school systems, she spent many years as a professional in that setting. Um, these are really different candidates. Somebody who was on the ground working for everyday Utahns or somebody who spent the last number of years outside of the state really working in the swamp, I have to say. So, you know, what kind of perspective are they going to bring? What kind of energy will they bring? Who are they going to have on their minds? I suggest people take a look at Reby. Uh, I laugh when I see Kathleen's ads on TV talking about uh, getting the government out of public ed as she's going back to Congress, which I really don't believe should have a role in public ed. And yet uh, I don't think she's wanting to get the federal government out of public ed. So. It's kind of a depends uh, on issues. When we think about things like uh, access for students with disabilities, there certainly should be a role at the federal level. When we think about, um, you know, I would even say like large scale infrastructure around our schools, how we're funding and and creating uh, programs that help educate students that can meet the demands of the future. I do think that there is some role for Washington in that, and I think she'd be uh, a strong advocate. And, and see, I disagree there because I think too often what happens is you get federal spending and federal regulation, you don't actually get what you're wanting to get. Yeah, John. Um, I want to hear your comments, going very local here, about both Governor Herbert and Governor Cox endorsing uh, Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall. What did you make of that? I, what, I I saw it, and it just it caught my eye because, you know, maybe they often don't weigh in on a nonpartisan city race, but they both did. Yeah. No, I, I find that interesting. Clearly, clearly, Rocky has those that are staunch supporters of his. Um uh, from the state perspective, Rocky has also caused lots of problems and issues over the years. And so I think there's an element of what kind of mayhem will come as a result of Rocky being mayor again. Mm-hmm. I had to deal with the legacy highway issues and problems as a result of, of his fighting that. Fair uh, to say it cost the state tens uh, of millions of hundreds dollars. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Hundreds of, hundreds millions. of millions of dollars as a result of that. To and get so an I alignment would, that was about the same as originally Substantially proposed. the same, yeah. Um, think about so, that one for so, a minute, Shereen. So I, I think there's a dynamic which is, okay, we've seen that act before. Let's let's go with the other person. And I think Aaron has played nicely with, with them in the past. Mm-hmm. But I am still a little surprised of them jumping into endorsing yeah, yeah. that race. And, and then, you know, Rocky's response is, I'm now reminded of why uh, affiliated Republican to vote for John Huntsman Jr. <laughs> <laughs> 
Shireen, I, I'm just wondering what your take is on, we're going into a major election here, a ranked choice voting election, and I have seen precious little polling about how this is going to all turn out in our capital city. Are you the same? I'm of the same mind. I don't know that we have a ton of good public polling. I'm not sure that even the polling that exists, uh, that campaigns often do, I'm not sure how robust it is. So they're um, blind in some ways in going some into ways. this. Yeah. yeah. So I would just say for people listening, if you live in Utah, our election day got delayed because of the special election in the second district, and you will be able to vote until Tuesday, November 21st. And so in person, that's in you person. Mail it the day before. Mail it the day before. Get that thing postmarked. If it's sitting on your counter, just do it now. Why not do it now? Mm-hmm. We have just uh, just over a minute in the program. John, can you reflect for just a minute about why uh, M. Russell Ballard's passing is a big deal to our state and why people of all faiths should care about that? I, I have thought on that, but I'm just curious what you think. And Shereen, you're w- welcome to weigh in as well. Well, it's just one of those things. I think he was somebody who cared a lot about Utah, Utah legacy. He cared about people worldwide and stuff like that. I, you know, I was my most recent event with him was uh, Days of Forty Seven, mm-hmm. celebrating Pioneer Day, and they recognized him for his dedicated service to the community mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And and Representative Garth Ballard, I reached out to her to extend best wishes. That's her father-in-law who just passed. And I know the difficulty on the family. Yeah. Yeah. Natalie, how about you? Well, I just say that he was someone that got involved in civic matters, civic affairs. You know, so you're you're an apostle in a faith, and you're really thinking about the the faith issues uh, confronting your congregations. But he was someone who also cared about just uh, civic duty, patriotism. Yeah citizenship, those sorts of things. How does a how does a non-LDS person view it when all of a sudden all the radio stations and TV are all over the death of a, of a Mormon apostle? Um, I, I would say this is, you know, um, it, it's, it's not always something that makes a ton of sense to me. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the question that I have is what happens now? Can mm-hmm. you like what? So how does that change the leadership? How does that change the we, dynamics? We, going get a, we get a new person and we we uh, we put up our hand and, and honor them yeah. and support them. Yeah. So, all right. Great program, everyone. Natalie Gawkner with Shereen Gorbani and John Dougal. Programs produced by Anthony Skoma. Thanks, everybody, for listening.